Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Foo followers. Are you a fan of Scott Adkins? Well, Scott is back in action in his latest movie, Payback, which is a sequel to the 2018 film The Debt Collector, which sees the martial arts action star reunite with director Jesse V. Johnson and co-star Louis Mandela. The film is available now in the USA and it's available on digital here in the UK and it will land on DVD on the 6th of July, courtesy of Dazzler Media. If you would like to get your hands on a copy of the film on DVD, then simply sign up now to our newsletter at kungfumovieguide.com. We have teamed up with Dazzler Media to give away three copies of the film on DVD in our next competition, full details of which will be announced in our June newsletter, which will be sent out on the 30th of June. So sign up to our newsletter today, Become a registered Foo follower and you will be in with a chance of winning a copy of the film Payback starring Scott Adkins on DVD. Thank you so much for doing that and best of luck. Okay, we have a really fun show for you guys today as I have a lockdown conversation with the one and only Richard Norton. So a huge thank you for tuning in. And, without any further ado, let's get on with the show. Here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. (laughs) Hello, 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 Foo followers everywhere around the world, wherever you are listening to this. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, episode 54 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. My name is Ben Johnson. I am the host of this show. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I do hope you are well and you are safe and you're not going too mad, what with one thing and another. On today's show, we have a super guest for you. We have the great Australian martial artist, actor and fight choreographer Richard Norton. He is on the show today. I love chatting to Richard. He is 70 years young. He turned 70 in January of this year. And what an extraordinary life Richard Norton has led. It's one that I think should be turned into a book or a film or something. There's so many great stories there. From Richard, he of course worked as a bodyguard for many years, touring with some of the world's biggest rock and roll bands and acts including Fleetwood Mac, ABBA, James Taylor, David Bowie, the Rolling Stones to name a few, before he started his career in the movies as both an actor and an action film star. This, of course, as many of you will be aware, led to his extraordinary stint in Hong Kong 
during the golden age of Hong Kong action cinema in the 1980s and 90s. When he was in Hong Kong, he worked with the likes of Jackie Chan on the film City Hunter, and then later he was the baddie and Mr. Nice Guy as well. And of course, he worked with Sammo Hung, who he worked with on the films Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars and Millionaire's Express. I actually first met Richard about a decade ago now when I was living out in Australia. And we met up because I was writing a feature for a different website. uh, And that website actually no longer exists anymore. So that interview, if you wanted to read it, it is still available. You can read it now on our website, kungfumovieguide.com. I will add a link to that interview in the description of this episode. Richard is always such an easygoing and a great guy to chat to, and this conversation was no exception. It was recorded over the internet in March 2020, and it was recorded just as steps were being taken to go into lockdown. I was here in London, and he was at his home there in Melbourne, Australia. Since around the time of our first meeting, Richard has since concentrated more on his role as a fight trainer and a fight choreographer and he works quite closely with the stunt coordinator and second unit director Guy Norris that's no relation to Chuck Norris by the way just in case you were wondering Richard's titles as a fight choreographer include huge Hollywood movies like Mad Max Fury Road, Ghost in the Shell, uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix and he's worked on both versions now of Suicide Squad so he's worked with David Eyre in that version from 2016 and he's just wrapped on the new version of the Suicide Squad directed by James Gunn of Guardians of the Galaxy fame. There's a lot of talk actually here about his work on the new Suicide Squad film which did manage to wrap just before productions around the world were closing down. So if you're looking forward to that new Suicide Squad there's a bit of information on this chat about that film and how that's shaping up. It is expected to be released in August 2021. And I did want to add that this conversation was, of course, recorded before we heard of the sad passing of Kurt Thomas, who was the first US male to win a gold medal at the Gymnastics World Championships. Kurt Thomas died on the 5th of June 2020 at the age of 64 after suffering from a stroke. Kurt won eight world medals, including three gold medals during his career. And of course, he had a brief moment there as an action film star working with Richard Norton on the 1985 film Jim Catter, directed by Robert Klaus, of course, of Enter the Dragon fame. Jim Catter now is obviously a bit of a cult classic. It's it's listed on a lot of those so bad they're good type movie lists. <laughs> and it's certainly it's certainly a film of dubious merit, I think that's fair to say. But it did mark Kurt Thomas's debut, of course, as a martial arts movie star. And when I heard of the news of his death, I contacted Richards just because we do have a bit of a brief chat on this episode about his work on Jim Catter. So Richard did respond and he sent me this message to read out. 
Richard says, I was deeply saddened by hearing of Kurt's passing. It's not so much because we were still close friends and hanging out together, but that such an elite athlete should die so young. The lesson, of course, for all of us is that there are no guarantees in life and that every day with our lives and our health is a bonus. Please do not take anything for granted. Wise words there from Richard Norton, particularly pertinent, I would say, during these unprecedented times. So thank you so much for sending me that dedication there to Kurt Thomas, the Olympic athlete and the star of Jim Catter, who has sadly passed away at the age of 64. Okay, the only other bit of business that I did want to add before throwing over to my conversation with Richard was to say that if you do want to get in touch with me or the show for whatever reason at all, then remember we are easily contactable over social media. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle on Twitter is at KF Movie Guide, and we are also on Facebook and Instagram under the name at Kung Fu Movie Guide. That's all one word. And if you do have any questions at all or feedback on the show or the website or anything you just want to get off your chest, then remember the best way to do that is to send us an email. The email to the show is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Okay, that's more than enough from me for the time being. I will be back at the very end for a bit more waffling and to sign off properly. But until then, let me throw over now to my conversation with the great martial artist and action film star, Richard Norton. The coronavirus has had quite an impact, obviously, on the... The film industry. I don't know, Richard. Are you you're cool for um, going forward? <laughs> Look, no, it's having a tremendous impact, but I'm cool with it. And I just, yeah. I sort of tell you why. You know, I've just been away for twelve hours, seven months in Atlanta, Georgia, obviously yeah. working on Suicide Squad, and yeah. I I'm not unhappy that I can that I'm come back and actually get some downtime. You know, yeah, um, that that kind of wrapped just in time, really, didn't it? <laughs> oh man, um, you. you yeah. That's for sure. Look, we got there was no compromise to the shoot. Every we got everything finished perfectly, and we got back here in Australia, Judy and I, probably with about a week and a half to spare before wow. it would have been a mandatory two weeks quarantine, self quarantine. So we we absolutely just made it in. You live in Melbourne full time, is that is that right, Richard? Well, t- sort of. You know, yeah. we've lived in California for. God, 35 years. Um, sure. It's only lately we've decided we really just want love being back home in Melbourne because it's mm. where we both grew up. And yeah. I, I just love it. And I'm, I'm a little bit over LA in certain ways. And uh, every time we come home and uh, we just got a little Victorian home, just a couple of, you know, five minutes out of the city, but it's just perfect. And every time we get here and I go, ah, this is just where I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the beach is seven minutes away and there's a beautiful lake that's, you know, six and a half Ks to walk around it. And it's two blocks away and you go, look, 
can't beat this. I interviewed you once before, and it was I I had to look this up. But I didn't realise it was nine years ago, which is Ooh. insane. I don't know where that time's gone. But we met up in Brisbane. It was called a Supernova event. I think it, it was like a Comic Con event. Oh yeah, right. Uh, wow. In Brisbane. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is going back a while. But you were just starting out on Mad Max, I think, at that time, or you were on a bit of a hiatus. I think. No, well, it wouldn't be. <clears throat> yes, no, you're right. Mad Max was shot in 2013. Yeah. So if that's if it, it must have been just before that, you know, sure. that I was getting sure. ready, it might have been a year before that. You were sort of embarking then on this kind of next part of your career, which was more towards the stunt coordinating fight choreography route. It's just amazing to see in this n- space of nine years since we last spoke, you know, the amazing work that you've done, you know, in Hollywood on these huge movies since then. You know, you must be chuffed for the <laughs> the, the movies that you've been working on that in that time period. No, look, it's been incredible, even during Suicide Squad, you know, it was for me to be at this sort of stage of my life you know age-wise and everything else to still be working on mm. productions like this is just well there's a lot to be thankful for and there's not a lot get to do that because when you were talking about um mad max we went on did that well since then was um and not particularly in this order we did ghost in the shell you know with scarlett yep. johansson yeah uh, triple frontier which is a ben affleck movie and charlie yep. hunnam a great cast, uh, X-Men, Dark Phoenix, Dark Phoenix in Canada, yeah, yeah. and the, what else? Of course, the Suicide Squad, and then, you know, everything going the way it should, we hopefully yeah. will be on to uh, another Mad Max movie uh, toward yeah. the end of the year. So Fantastic. Look, that's I'm, on the cards I'm, then, is it? Yeah, no, that's definitely on the cards. Can't tell yeah. you much more about it, but definitely on sure. the cards. George has always wanted to do another couple. What you were saying about where I was at even before Mad Max is, you know, I'm, I just turned 70 in January. Um, yes, congratulations. So- Thank you. I always I always joke that if I get movie roles now, it'll be somebody's dad or an aging gangster. <laughs> yeah. um, but but it's okay, you know, because I I was smart enough to realize I need to be of value behind the camera as well as in front if I want any sort of longevity. And yeah. the great thing for me is I always say to people, I all I ever really want to do since I was eleven was be the best martial artist i can be mm. and importantly i say i can be because there's tons that are far better than me and some not quite as good you know it's not about that i just wanted to be the best i could be without the yeah. comparisons and so my through line in life is has been that and i realized that everything good that's happened in my life has happened as a result of just wanting to be the best martial artist <laughs> so you're not you're not slowing down then <laughs> no you know what i'm too scared to you know yeah. people a lot of people and i again i feel so look i've got a bad shoulder i've got bone on bone in my right shoulder yeah. and it must have a few injuries yeah <clears throat> yeah but not bad you know it's yeah. it's a bit shit my right shoulder you know it's it's sure it's very painful i had x-rays and everything and it's bone on bone and interestingly enough it wasn't from bad training it was from the hong kong movies i did with jackie chan and samo sure. where i was hitting the concrete and getting smacked in the walls and you know you've got to hit them like a bag of shit as it were yeah 
It's, you can't break fall or anything. And I literally did it hundreds of times. And the surgeon that sort of cleaned it up a bit said, look, even a couple of falls like that would do the damage you have. And again, I've mm. done it hundreds of times. So I have that. But I also have an attitude that if that's the worst I have after, you know, 55 years of doing this sort of stuff, then I'm okay with it. I, yeah. I will manage it. I would prefer to look at what I still have, not what I don't have. Because I believe there's a psychological crutch. If you start to say, gee, I'm getting old or I've got to slow down. Or, well, I've got to be careful of my back. There's a whole lot of reasons you give yourself psychologically to now not have to participate fully anymore. Sure. And yeah. you give yourself an out. And to me, that's almost like starting to lie down on the floor in a fetal position and just stop. And I refuse to do that. And yes, I have a few aches and pains and all of that, but I think that's okay, you know, because the alternative is just not acceptable to me, i.e. Yeah. stopping doing what I'm doing and what I love. So, I'm, of course, I'm going to be a little more careful than I would have 20 years ago, but, you know, I love progressive resistance training weight training as a supplement to my martial arts and i keep stretching and i still still teach class and i still teach seminars to keep my skill set up but more importantly so mentally my body says oh god this guy's not going to stop so we better be ready for that in other words yeah. it kind of keeps your body always ready for the stresses in a good way that training puts on it. Do you remember where that first love of martial arts came into your life? No, I was 11. The high school I went to, Croydon High School, which is a suburb out of Melbourne, um, I, when I was going to Croydon High School. I was a new kid moved into a house opposite to where I lived. Morris Yeomans is his name, and he, he was disappearing a couple of nights. We got to be friends at high school, and, of course, because he lived near me, and I basically was like, oh, where are you going? And he told me he was going to judo classes, and I was like, oh, my God. I said, I want to go, you know. And this, this interest, by the way, and people laugh, but it, back then we didn't even have videos. There was no videos of cable or anything else, so the exposure to something like judo which was basically the only martial art that there was any exposure for in australia was judo mm -hmm. and it was it was like ads on the back of comic books you know yeah. defeat five attackers with a flip of a wrist and yeah i as an 11 year old i was so skinny and short i was ridiculously thin and i suffered from asthma as a kid the idea of something like judo was just i just lit up and I would say to this day, and it sounds very cliche, but I think the interest, and this is again, whatever your belief systems, I just believe I had that interest because that was what I was meant to do with my life um, mm. that drew me to it because I didn't grow up in a bad neighborhood. I didn't have gangs running around and I wasn't always like, oh, I've got to learn to defend myself. You weren't being bullied or anything. There wasn't any motivation to learn a self-defense. No, no. And yet I still, I was still drawn to it. Cut to uh, my other friend, a guy called John Rowe at school, high school, and it was in a form higher than I, but... It was trying to say, oh, there's a karate school opening up in Bayswater, which is about three miles from where I lived. And so off we went. And I would have been, I don't know, 14, 15, I can't remember. But 
And I went along, and this gentleman named Tino Severano, who was a Hawaiian Filipina, who had been in Australia only six months, and he was in Goju-Ryu or Goju-Kai, you know, karate. I remember watching this, and I went, oh, my God, this is what I have to do because I, it represented to me something that didn't involve size and strength and everything, but more speed and agility, which is what I had, and a little more standoff. And so I immediately joined up, and that started my karate career. The horse kicks! This career as a bodyguard and a bouncer... Where does that sort of come in, Richard? Yes, well, so we, I was studying with Tino Soberano, who I'm still so close with to this very day. At the same time as I started, there was another gentleman, Bob Jones, who was 10 years older than I. Well, Bob was also training with Tino, and we became friends. Bob was already at that stage kind of a huge name in security in Melbourne. He used to, you know provide bouncers and everything and he did bodyguard work himself for local businessmen or whatever um anyway he he wanted he offered me a job to start working on doors in melbourne and yeah i always laugh because i say working at discos but that very much dates me <laughs> i call it <laughs> discos but i started working and I'm, you know I'm, I'm still a teenager and i'm yeah so add, this is still the 60 this is late 60s yeah late 60s yeah late 60s so i'm working on doors and everything that was a what an introduction to a different world for yeah, me that was I could, I could imagine and you quickly learn doing a job like that whether what you've learned in the dojo is, is actually going to work in real life i'd imagine 100 percent for me because of doing what i did in bodyguard of course there was incredible emph- uh, emphasis on reality-based arts as we like to call it i needed to know what would work in the street against one or three or five or knives or whatever it might be you know that was Mm. what i wanted out of it did it get that sort of hairy i mean do you have experiences you know back in those days where it was a it was a bit dicey oh no no question about it i mean especially when i went to the states and you know 79 i went over and started working full-time for linda ronstadt and by the way just to backtrack a little bit to explain how we got into that in 1973 two or three we got a call bob got a call from paul dainty who was an australian entrepreneur who was bringing the the big bands out to australia and he rang up and asked if we would be interested in looking after the rolling stones and you know this was a little while after after altamont you know where one of the hell's angels biking killed the fan and all this so there's a bit of trepidation with the band but anyway he asked us, so I ended up, you know, Bob, me being Bob's right-hand man in Zendikai, we, we worked as personal bodyguards for the Rolling Stones. That's what started that whole bodyguard um, sort of thing. Were the Stones quite receptive to you being on hand? They must have been having just gone through that, you know, that awful experience in Altamont. Yeah, they were very, um, I, you know, it's not something that would be, be that obvious, but they were quite they were very nervous or aware yeah. of of the potential of violence. So I think what really worked for Bob and I, first of all, 
Bob's was especially then a little bigger than I am, but we certainly weren't the big hulking bodyguards. We we had the knack of basically looking like a member of the band, which was a little more disarming of not having a heavy sort of overtone around the band. Yeah, we fit in. I ended up training Mick at four o'clock in the morning sometimes, teaching him karate. He just loved it, you know. So yeah. little was things he, like he was that. pretty good. Yeah, no, well, yeah. I mean, anyone who looks at Mick Jagger even today, I mean, God, the energy yeah. that dude has prancing on the stage is amazing. So, yeah. he, you know, he 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 was great, and you know, we we just ended up getting on very very well with with those guys, and mm. it was a good experience for them because we're very aware, of course, of you know, like our whole job is not to create violence in all occasions it's of course to represent demand and hopefully you know there's a saying you know that the best bodyguards when you don't know you have them and you don't know you even need them your yeah, job is yeah. more to anticipate the possibility of things going wrong whether it's in a yeah. gig or, in a, or a hall or whatever and try and preempt that altercation and also you've got to keep a level head when you're dealing with you know it's it's kind of like the circus isn't it and these bands are out on tour and there's everyone's boozing and it's a party atmosphere but you've got to be the ones that are just completely centered and you know can read the room you know you know you hit it right on the head look when i started with the stones and excuse me, some of the other bands. I mean, the amount of, and that was the environment back then. I'm not giving away any secrets. There was just drugs galore, you know, it was cocaine and speed and everything else. And I knew straight off the bat, I suddenly thought, wow, you know, this is my job. Somebody has to have a straight and level head, no matter what the Mm -hmm. circumstance. And I made, even though I never drank or smoke anyway, but I just made the decision that I was not going to be enticed in any way into getting into that world. That was not my job. You you know, I know it sounds, again, a little weird, but when I'd read books on the samurai and all that sort of stuff, you were kind of like a, like a retainer, you know. It's like you're working for the Lord and your job, no matter what, was to be the person that could read a situation, be clear-minded, not sort of phased out with alcohol or drugs. Mm-hmm. That, again, would not lead to any in any way being able to do the job you're supposed to do. Yeah. And, you know, as you get on with the touring, part of the attraction of, of using me was that I would genuinely try and get the band into working out. You know, James Taylor, Linda Ronstadt, you know, some of the Fleetwood Mac band. And there's uh, members of ABBA as well. I've seen pictures of you training. Uh, is it Ag- Agnita? Yeah, from uh, from ABBA. Yeah, and and, yeah. and and Frida, yeah. Look, and Frida, they, yeah. They, I suggested it sort of early on the tour, and it ended up I just about daily, wherever there was a swimming pool or a beach, you know, we weren't doing a gig, I'd be training, especially the girls, you know. Tough job, yeah. man. That was a tough yeah. gig, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds awful. Yeah, that no, was awful. <laughs> so they would do it every day, and again, it just it helped to form sort of a real rapport, you know, with the bands. Sure. Linda and James, I worked them as hard as I would work God, just about any black belt was keeping a fit. Yeah. In fact, it was interesting. Rolling Stone magazine did a whole article on me once because they were intrigued that they were getting word that some of these bands were coming off the road, in their words, in better shape than they went on the road, which was almost unheard of back then. Yeah, you know? in Not the 70s anyway. I mean, you, you, got, you got your diehards who resistant, all that sort of stuff. Like yeah. you can imagine trying to get Keith Richards out, you know, doing some yeah. push-ups and stuff. But 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 overall there was a there was a real interest in that that whole part of, you know, what I did. Hey, don't be tricked by him. 
He's got iron feet. Linda Ronstadt was the one, and for those who don't know, Linda was won something like 12 or 13 Grammys. She was just yeah, as star. big as Beyonce back in her time. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. We were very close. She wanted me to come and work for her full-time in California. And so off I went to California. By the way, that wasn't an easy choice. Um, mm. I was, you know, I was teaching schools, you know, had a girlfriend here in the country. Everything was all very settled for me. And I was like, oh, I don't know whether I really want to do this. And Linda actually said to my story member so clearly, she just said, look, why don't you try it? Just try it. You can always go back home. And that was really the key. And I went, you know what? She's right. I'm, I've got to give this a bill. Well, talk about the best move I could ever have done and what a life-changing decision. It takes a lot of guts to get out of one's so-called comfort zone. But I say, by daring to participate and go, yes, I'm going to step completely away from everything that represents security to me, my life, well, I couldn't even imagine what my life would be. I would have retired from the immigration. I'd have my superannuation, and I would only now just be starting to kind of live and enjoy life, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. And to add to that, you know, in '78, Bob Jones had gone to America, and he had met Chuck Norris. So we brought Chuck Norris out to Australia in '78. Chuck, yeah. I think, had just done Good Guys Wear Black, and so he was interested in promoting movie, and we brought him out, and he did demonstrations on this kickboxing tournament, which, which was the first kickboxing matches ever in Australia. I mm. was demonstrating with a bow and sigh and a few things on the same card with Chuck. As a result, we formed a ch friendship, and Chuck said, if you look you know, if you ever get to California, look me up and we'll do some training, which to a little kid in Melbourne, Australia was like, oh, my goodness, how good is that? Yeah. So a year later, when Linda wanted me to go to California, of course, the first person, as I always tell people, I called was Chuck. And I ended up going to his house every morning and training, you know, six days a week at his house. And he was, of course, in the very early stages of the Octagon in pre-production. So this is 1980. This is your very first film yeah, Actually, appearance. 79 when we shot yeah. that. It was released in 80. And he wanted me to play his main nemesis, which was the Keogh character in Octagon. So... Myself and Chuck and Aaron Norris, Chuck's brother, we're all in his backyard working out the fights for Octagon. So hence the start of my movie career. Mm. So in between touring, I would be doing movies, Roger Corman movies or whatever in the Philippines or yeah. Thailand or all over the shop. And of course, my Hong Kong career, which I know we'll talk about. But I actually did get to a final stage where I suddenly said, you know what? I've had a really good career out of this. I haven't been shot. I mean, because I had a couple of friends that actually got shot and killed doing personal bodyguard right. work. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you are on the line as much as it can be an amazing amount of fun. There is mm. still a job to do and it still involves sometimes a life or death situation. So I thought I've, I've got through all of this. I've had an amazing time. This is probably a good time to stop. And, you know, an interesting a little side note to that. I had a friend who was doing makeup for um, the Kevin Costa movie, Bodyguard, you know. And yeah. I ended up going to the set. And I'm, I walk into the set, you know, with this young lady. And I suddenly hear a voice go, hey, Richard, you know. 
And I look around, and it's Kevin Costner calling out to me. I'm like, how the hell does he know me? And we started chatting. Well, he had he was going out with a, like an acquaintance or a friend of Linda Ronstadt's at one stage, and I'd met him backstage at, at a concert. This was before Kevin was really, you know, had a had a really big name. So sure. we ended up chatting, and we're talking about the bodyguard and the fact that, you know, part of that is about realizing a bodyguard, realizing their mortality. First of all, getting mm. involved with a female act, which I kind of did with Linda, you know, Ronstadt, yeah. that's a part of sure. the story that got me out as well. So we're talking about the life and where you realize the mortality aspect of, of that job, and that kind of happened to me too. I thought, you know what, this is probably a good time to not stretch it too far. And I was very much in the movie sort of world at that stage. I had plenty of work coming up as an actor. And I thought this is a good time to just leave the bodyguard work yeah. and go on to, to that world. So that's kind of yeah. what happened. Just quickly on Chuck, he turned 80 recently. So uh, I was, mean, uh, wish him a happy, happy birthday. As my wife you... would say, how did we get here? It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're still in touch with Chuck? No, I'm still very close with Chuck. You know, for years, you know, in fact, last last year again, I was at Chuck's annual UFAF convention, United Fighting Arts convention. Yeah. Uh, in Las Vegas, and I taught there, and we're still very close. For, for those who know, you know, Chuck was best man at my wedding. Yeah. Um, we've been friends since 1979, and still good friends. You know, we still chat all the time. Of course, it's hard to get together as much because he's yeah. in Hawaii or wherever. And he was also out in Australia a year ago, or whatever, at Supernova or Comic Con. And uh, we was, we flew up to Sydney. We were going to spend the day. We ended up staying five days. And you know what was great about that? And for those who don't know, you, you cannot get a nicer human being than Chuck. He is so personable and friendly, and he was such a huge part in me developing a career over in the States. And, you know, I'm so thankful for that. But he's just a good person. We, we went up to the Blue Mountains and a few things, and... You know, Chuck said, you know, she said, you know, Rich, you're you're my best friend. You know, he said, we've been friends so long. We had so many laughs over so many past experiences. And I was really tickled. I thought, how, how good is that, you know, after mm. that long to still have that sort of friendship? So yeah. I feel very fortunate in that regard. I know who you are, you bastard. Your time has come. Then your son. Let's get into the Hong Kong stuff. Okay, so 1985, Twinkle Twinkle, Lucky Stars. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Well, you know what? That all started as uh, through Pat Johnson. Pat Johnson was uh, an ex-partner of Chuck Norris's in martial arts schools, amazingly good yeah. martial artist. Chuck, uh, Pat had rather had worked on uh, The Big Brawl, which is yeah. a very early um, film that Jackie Chan did in the States, and he was like fight coordinator or whatever, stunt coordinator. <clears throat> and because Chat Pat knew, you know, of my martial arts ability, he suggested, he said, you'd be, you'd be really good to work with Jackie, you know. And he basically was going to suggest it because he obviously had contact with Jackie through the big brawl. Yeah. And so anyway, I I'm, was in... Japan, uh, near Osaka with uh, Linda, and I'm in my hotel room, and the phone rings, 
God knows how they found me. And I hear this Chinese voice say, oh, Richard, hi, da-da-da, I work with Jackie Chan. He wants you to come work with him in a movie. What's your price? <laughs> and I went, whoa, wait a minute, what, 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 what? You know, and I had a big conversation. I said, but when, when would I have to be there? I said, oh, they need you here in three days. What's your price? So I said, well, look, it doesn't matter what my price is. I can't. I'm on tour and I've got another two months to go. And by the way, that movie they, they were wanting to be in, I believe is the role that Keith Vitale played in Meals on Wheels that right. Benny the Jet Urquidez did. So anyway, yeah. I had to pass on it and I didn't think a lot of it. And a bit later, I got another phone call from Hong Kong. And again, they wanted me to come and... It was a suitable time, so off I went. So it was really through a recommendation rather than them seeing me or whatever. I don't know whether they researched or saw some footage from some of the movies I'd done. Who knows? Force 5 yeah, or whatever. You, Force but, 5. You, you'd done a few movies by that point, yes, uh, by well, the mid-80s. Well, yeah. Force 5, those, and, you know, I, I can't imagine that would have been what's the word, a good enough showcase for them to yeah. want to hire me. I would yeah. want to think they probably took a chance based on Pat, I would yeah. think. Uh, in fact, I'm, I never really asked that question. So that was that was the start of my Hong Kong thing, and off I go. And, God, what, a, what an eye-opener that was, you know, <laughs> yeah. because it was anything but what I thought it was going to be. What was it like that first day on set then when you're <laughs> in a, on a Hong Kong film set? <laughs> well, <laughs> It's quite, quite different, I'd imagine. I get there, and, you know, it was... It was a few weeks before I actually had to do any fight stuff. So I'm in a hotel. You do a bit of dialogue and set the characters up. You know, there was stuff on a motorcycle and blah, blah, blah. And then I was supposed to do a big fight with Jackie, but Jackie had injured his shoulder in a previous movie. So they basically said the main fight you'll do is with Sammo Hong, yeah. who, again, for those who don't know, is like the Steven Spielberg of Hong Kong movies. And he sure. was one of the leads and also directing Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars with Jackie and Yin Bill. And um, so I start the fights. And by the way, it, it's funny, God, I don't know why, but it's not that long ago that I realized that one of the actors in Twinkle Twinkle was Michelle Yeoh, who had really not even had started a career. She was yeah. the judo instructor that Sam Hong has a scene with. I said, oh, my God, how good is that? Because a friend of mine in Canada worked with her, Michelle, and she said to him, oh, say hello to Richard, thinking, well, again, how the hell, how does that work? But So she was in the same movie, but I wow. had a greater role than she did. How about yeah. that? That's all changed. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and also Andy Lau was in it, and I never realized Andy Lau was in it, and as we'll talk about too, he was the lead in Magic Crystal. In Magic it, Crystal, yeah. Rock Rock. So yeah. anyway, I start the fight stuff. And, oh, my God, you know, really it was the first three days that really blew my little mind because people don't think it's exaggerated. But when we started the fight stuff, first of all, there's no idea what you're going to do. You rehearsed sure. on camera. They would make up a few moves. You'd do them and over and over and sometimes 30 takes and you'd do the first few moves. We did 18-hour days, seven days a week. You would just find a little corner to try and get a bit of sleep in between the crew, Samo, and the rest of the stunt team trying to make up the next moves as far as what the choreography involved. The contact to the body was virtually full-body contact. They copped yeah. bare-fisted uppercuts under the chin. 
finding a little bit of cotton wool to put in my mouth so I wouldn't chip my teeth. And this is what what it involves. And after the first three days, I I literally went to my hotel room and I said out aloud, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. It was that <laughs> different to me. The timing was different. The way they would throw punches was different. So it was a real it was a real culture shock for me. Adding to the fact that also I was probably the only Guaylo on the set, meaning kind of Westerner, that didn't speak Cantonese or Mandarin. So it was really just me and them. And mm. so that also made it you know, quite confronting. And, and again, no yeah. script. You would just imitate facial gestures and everything they wanted. And basically you would say stuff in English that was about the length of what they were going to dub it with in Cantonese or Mandarin. Yeah, I was going to say, when you're rocking up to set then, you really don't know what you're filming that day? Is that is that fair no to idea. say? No, no idea. No idea, Because okay. basically the script is written for most parts as the movie went along. They sure. didn't know what they were going to do next day, next yeah. week. Samo would sometimes take me into the editing room you know, for whatever time there was at the end of the day and show me, and that's when he would decide where the fight should go, how much longer it should be, et cetera, et cetera. So they left themselves very open to be free to just take it to wherever they wanted to go. In other words, they weren't mm. locked in to a master shot. So it was kind of an interesting way of, of doing it. The problem was that it would take forever. I mean, my first yeah. fight with Samo took three and a half weeks, the fight, wow. which I know we'll get onto in City Hunter, was six and a half weeks to shoot one yeah. fight. Well, I shot whole for living movies in that amount of time. Yeah, yeah. So that was different. And the other thing is I'm thinking, oh, I'll be able to do this and that. Well, the Hong Kong stunties and coordinators and all of them and some of they don't really give a rat's what you want to do. It's what they want you to do. Mm. And it didn't matter how much how many times you had to do it, they would just get you to go over and over and over till you managed to execute the techniques that they wanted you to throw. In other words, there was not a lot of openness to changing something to suit your style. That mm -hmm. also made it very confronting and very different and, and difficult for me. And yeah. in fact, Shoji Kalata, Kalata-san is a Japanese actor that was famous in Hong Kong. Then he'd done like 40 movies. He's the one that uh, fights with the Sai against Sama Hong yeah. using the tennis rackets. A wonderful, wonderful man and so, so talented. Shoji was the one that took me aside at one stage because he saw me getting a bit frustrated. And he said, Rich, he said, let me just give you some advice, basically, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, if you want to work in these movies here, he said, don't say anything. They don't care what you want to do. He meant it in a nice way. He literally said they think they're God's gift to martial arts. It's their set. So just don't say anything. And I took that advice. I would just shut up and I would just do it over and over. I took yeah. all the bumps. I was always in really, really good shape. I didn't care about the impact and the contact. Mm. And and that that's what led to me getting like extra movies and stuff in Hong Kong. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. I guess you really know how to fight. But still, I can handle him. So Twinkle Twinkle, Millionaire's Express, so Samo calls you back there, Magic Crystal with Wong Jing, and then Wong Jing calls you back for City Hunter as well, you're working with Jackie Chan, so there must have been something about you that the Hong Kong team were just like, this is the guy, he knows the moves, you know, use him. Can you pinpoint what it was about you then that you think that got you hired uh, repeatedly over there? Yeah, I think it's a combination, I think... You know, the lucky, lucky, whatever reasons on Twinkle Twinkle, I think when we started to fight stuff, everything was a bit standoffish. Uh, but yeah. when Samo and Jackie and especially the stunties saw that I would take the bumps, it didn't worry me. I'd go over and over that. Mm. I think they had respect for me in that regard. Number one. Number two, one of the most important things with fighting Jackie Chan and him and Samoa's timing. And Jackie sort of said this on tape. He said, a lot of martial artists, yes, they've got good technique and punch and kick. He said the most important thing for him and them was whether you had the timing that would work for their style of choreography. And I just had the timing that worked for them. Now, look, I was in no way any better than any other martial artist they could have brought in. I don't think that for one second, but for whatever reasons, I had the timing that just suited their style of choreography. And by the way, it's not as though I suddenly think, oh, I've got to develop the timing that works for them. It just turned out that way through mm. my goju karate training, kickboxing, whatever it was, I just ended up having time that worked. And the third thing was that I, through karate, would just not complain. I would be there all the time. I would just shut up. I would just do what I was asked to do. So I think as much as anything, there was a certain comfort level of bringing me in, knowing that I understood how it worked on a Hong Kong movie set. I would shut up. I had the timing. I'd just do the job. So that made it sort of an easy call for them. And, And nicely, Jackie, again, even in an interview, said that, you know, I had the acting chops, I had the comedic chops, and I had the martial arts skills. So it was a bit of a misc bag that he yeah. felt was a good package for him. And a, yeah. Because cause at one stage he said to me, he said, oh, I'm tired of – and he said Americans. It doesn't necessarily mean Americans. It could mean Europeans or whatever. A lot of people they would bring in or some that even live locally in Hong Kong would come on and immediately said they wanted to just kind of show – how tough they were. They they miss they misread that looking at these movies, yes, it was full on, of course, you know, off the world kind of choreography with wires and everything else, but a lot of the contact was extreme and the physicality was extreme. So they thought their job was to come in and show how tough they were and how strong they could punch. And even back then, Jackie had been at it sewing, said, Oh, I tired of that. I don't want people trying to hit me hard as they can, etc, etc, etc. So 
he was very aware of that aspect. He knew I had good timing. He knew I was safe. So I think all of that contributed to uh, me getting the work. And thank God, because I hate to say it, but back when I was on the set, if you were a Brit or whatever that was living there and had a part, man, you, 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 it was rough. I mean, the Hong Kong studies would yell at them, oh, you were stupid, you have no timing, you know, this and that. They'd, they'd just really do a number on them. Really? For me, because Samo, you know, would take me into editing, Jackie took me shopping all over Hong Kong for cameras mm. and everything else when we had a day off. So we, we just formed a great relationship. So I was immediately, as far as everybody on that said, I was in the inner circle. So they yeah. kind of left me alone, you know. Looking back and when you do see those films again, all of the pain and the arduous process and all the beatings and everything, do you think that's necessary to get the kind of, you know, the excitement, the kind of the style of action that they managed to create? Which, let's face it, I mean, we're talking about films that are, what are they, 30 plus years ago? But mm-hmm. that Hong Kong style of action, it still looks just amazing, doesn't it? Even today, it's just, there's something timeless about it? No, absolutely, Ben. In fact, you know, I ended up, and I haven't, I don't look at, old movies that I've done, but I did end up having a flip through Twinkle Twinkle. Yeah. And it's exactly what you said. I I basically went, Oh my God, how good is this stuff? Yeah. Ian Bill and some of those guys and some of those group fight scenes that did ridiculous and i i also find it interesting that uh, you know over the last whatever years, when you do something like that, you never do it thinking of what it's going to represent 10 years from now. It's a job. It's a job that you're going to get what a X amount of dollars and you're a martial artist and off you go and do it. And, and it's the, the, the fun part is, you know, when there's in Atlanta, there's a couple of friends that I just got so close with some local people from Atlanta, Georgia doing uh, double wing work in the movie and stunt work. They would ask me about it and I'd see their eyes. And one of them said, rich, it's history. I mean, you worked and did fights mm. with Summer Hong and Jackie Chan and blah, blah, blah. And they said, that's in, it's then that you go, wow, yeah, that's pretty cool. I did, yeah. <laughs> I did work with some amazing people, the maestros of action movies. How many people get to do that? And so it's kind of, it's a lot later that you have an appreciation for the opportunity that I had back then of working yeah. with those people. And, <laughs> And again, so good. The quality just stands up yeah. today. Are you drawing on those experiences that you had in Hong Kong to create some of those fight scenes today? To a degree. I mean, it will always be that by osmosis. In other words, you are going to always draw from your life experiences of being on a movie set wherever that may be, whether it's Filipino mm. movies, Thai movies, or Hong Kong movies, or Western movies, you know. I learned so much through being on the set, especially with people like Jackie and Samo. Samo, for me, by the way, is the most creative and 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 just amazing action directors I've ever worked with. I mean, yeah. that guy can do a fight scene with anything. He will use any obstacle in a room as does Jackie and create something and I thought that's interesting they were very much about props and a lot of that by the way came Jackie you know told me way back then he had every Buster Keaton movie Charlie Chaplin movie all of these silent movies he watched used to watch and get the sense of the comedic action within those old movies he always said to me I want to be able to turn the sound off 
have no sound, no music, and still have people enjoy the physicality of the fights. I would sometimes be on the set and I'd be with Samo and all I'd hear is, okay, one more, one more, one more. And I'm like, for fuck's sake, what's, what's yeah. one more? What are they looking for? But ultimately, when he would finally say, okay, okay, we got it, there was just something in it that I had missed that he was looking for. So there were very, there was certainly after that excellence in the style of fight that they particularly did. Now, you can like that style or not, but you cannot argue the the excellence that went into the choreography and the execution of a lot of those fights. Abbott, you better give up. <laughs> Cynthia Rothrock, you first worked with her in Hong Kong on A Magic Crystal. You made 10 films together. Someone described you as the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers of martial arts films. <laughs> very which cute. Which is very, yes. uh, very cute, yeah. She's good fun to, to work with. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's, that's yeah. one of the reasons we work so much, because we just... Yeah. We just um, complimented each other, I believe. You know, see, see I, I, when I did Magic um, Twinkle Twinkle in Hong Kong, I had a couple of people that told me about this blonde-haired, blue-eyed American girl yeah. working in Hong Kong. And I thought, oh, wow, that's interesting. Um, we ended up doing Magic Christian. I can't remember. You might even know better than me. It's too long ago for me. My gray matter's not like it used to be. But I don't remember sure. whether Magic Christian was before Millionaire's Express or the other way around. So I think they're both 86, is that right? But uh, as to which came first, I'm not Yeah, so I don't know whether I work with Cynthia on Millionaire's Express, which we shot in Thailand as well as Hong Kong or whether Magic Crystal. But anyway, we... That was a great experience. You know, we, again, we just hit it up. We're still, you know, very close friends to this day. Cynthia's just so good on a set. Because she was World Forms champion, she yeah. was very precise with her ability to place a kick or a punch or whatever, you know. So, you know, that was obviously a, a huge sort of attribute for her. And as far as me, I mean, we could play roles where we could be husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend, et cetera, et cetera. It's like Lady Dragon, I was the bad guy. She, she got to beat the crap out of me. Yeah. But that's okay, you know. And so it's been a really, really great career with Cynthia. She's she's still around she's still working still doing yeah. seminars so god bless her you know we're still both hanging in there which is also a good yeah. thing <laughs> when you look back at a lot of the films that you've been in as as an actor do you have particular favorites oh yes but in different ways you know as yeah. i said i look at i look at twinkle twinkle and think wow that that's fantastic just because of the f- fighting and everything it's not so much acting because Back then, it was a very different style in Hong Kong. It was, you know, it was very over the top, you know. It was very broad, was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, very broad is a good word. If you had to snarl, then it was a really big snarl. I used to like sure. to underplay things, but even in Mr. Nice Guy, we shot in Australia, somebody, no, 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 I have to have it bigger, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But you also realized that if you didn't, you were really a caricature in a lot of those movies because they were kind of comedic. And if you didn't, go for a ride and become almost like a cartoon character and then you didn't fit in those movies having said yeah. that it changed a lot if you see Samo and jack look at jackie in in karate kid i think it's amazing acting job yeah. or Absolutely. Samo in some of the roles later he could totally yeah. minimalize and people 
just so under underestimate his ability as a dramatic mm. actor. So they had that. Yeah. It was just the style back then. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I you know, I produced with Paul Curry, a friend of mine, we produced a movie called Under the Gun. We shot in Australia in, yeah. I think, 1990 or whatever. Kathy Long, who was a friend who was yeah. an ex you know, world kickboxing champions in it. I feel great about that. It's listen. None of them are amazing from a dramatic point of view. I'm, I'm. I think I'm. I can get by as an actor, and I'm not trying to be self-deprecating. But I also realized that when I started film work, because of what I said, I just wanted to be the best martial artist can be. I realized my passion wasn't as an actor. Acting was a way that I could get paid to actually spend a lot more time on the mat learning new things from a martial yeah. arts point of view. Because <laughs> if I was that passionate about acting, I would have been in acting class as much as I was in on the dojo yeah. floor. Yeah, you know? because you were starring in films during that really lucrative period in, in the States when, you know, Don the Dragon Wilson and Cynthia and yourself, that sort of video B-movie market was very lucrative, wasn't it? You know, oh, in, the, in the 90s. Well, yeah. Yeah, no, well, you know, uh, Equalizer 2000 and, and yeah. Not Another Mistake and all this sort of stuff and Kickfire with Benny the Jet. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, yes, they were they were straight to video, and, and that doesn't exist anymore. That's obviously no. true. You know, we used to do movies that were basically made for the mom and pop stores. You had a video in the local suburb, and you'd go and rent a movie, and then it became yeah. DVD. You know, and the theme was with Roger Corman, for instance, like Equalizer 2000, which, by the way, was Robert Patrick's first movie. He was just one yeah. of the bad guys, you know, from Terminator fame and sure. had an amazing career. He was in that. Well, they would take a movie, for instance, Equal Life is virtually like an apoc a post-apocalyptic film as per Mad Max. So mm -hmm. a movie would be come into the fore that was being made that had a particular theme, in that case, post-nuclear holocaust. And Corman then would immediately get a script written in a hurry. Off we'd go and shoot it in four to five or six weeks, and it would be out before or at the same time as this big major studio movie you know so they would piggyback yeah. off a theme at that time and that's pretty much what we did you know with mm. with the action you know it started off with karate stuff and ninja stuff and vietnam style movies and kickboxing and now it's mma you know a lot of those movies did what we did then you just followed the theme of the time and you tried to get something that the local kids of that era would be able to uh, sort of connect with you know yeah and they weren't yeah. about drama they were about just a bit of action we always knew back then that if you had six fights it didn't matter whether you had a story or anything else if you had six reasonable fights you could go to a film market and you would sell it well yeah that's changed nowadays our attitude even with the films i do the big films is that you if you should be able to take all the action out of an action film and still have an amazing good story and performances and that the action almost should be incidental to that movie mm. but back to your original question i look at some of my performances in some of those older ones and i'm like oh my god i chuckle <laughs> but but i've also learned to just be Tell, have a good laugh it'd be healthily critical and go, okay yeah. well i wouldn't want to do that again i still love the idea of acting i just did a movie called rage um you know six months ago it's it'll be a smaller movie it's a drama i play a cop it's a crime thriller i don't throw right. one punch in the movie 
And sure. I love that. I mean, it was fantastic to just just go out and try and give a dramatic performance in whatever yeah. way I can, you know. You're a monk. You're not supposed to kill. Haven't you any mercy? We didn't mention uh, Jim Carter there, but anyway, maybe we'll uh, we'll move on from uh, from that one. Uh, well, but, oh no, um, well, you can do. You can. Jim Carter, by the way, that came, that for people that know, you know, that came about as uh, from Freddie Weintraub. And yeah, well, it's a Bob House movie. Yeah, yes, yeah. Which, again, for those listeners, Bob uh, directed Into the Dragon. Freddie yeah. produced it for Warner Brothers. Yeah, so yeah. I had worked with Bob Klaus, directed Force Five. So, obviously, because I'd already worked with Bob, they cast me in Jim Carter. Jim Carter was with Kurt Thomas, as you know, was an Olympic gymnast. That's right. And yep. basically, Fred wanted to create an American Jackie Chan. And the sure. the only thing, the only problem with that was that, and you know, Kurt, of course, being an Olympic gymnast, what an amazing, you know, athlete. But yeah. to do, first of all, he wasn't a fighter, so I was trying to train him in Florida for some time. You know, it took a bit of work and. He, he basically needed almost perfect kind of gym conditions to execute a lot of the moves. So you yeah. look at Jim Carter and there's a funny thing, the courtyard where there's a, a thing that you tie goats up, which is so obviously a pommel horse. And you go, oh, my yeah. God. But I think that's kind of funny. That film has acquired quite a sort of cult following now, which is quite, it must I be know, quite endearing in a way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> And that fight scene I do with Kurt, that was supposed to take days to shoot. We ended up shooting that because of time in about three hours. In fact, there's one... Right. Because the idea of the fight was this Zamir, this big warrior dude. You know, I was supposed to just smack the crap out of Kurt playing cat and mouse with him. And then he would eventually use his gymnastics to sort of come back and beat me. And, you know, I basically got a couple of slaps in the next minute I'm sort of defeated which i was very disappointed in but because there was a scene where you see me run away from him and that was purely because the sun came over and there was shade so they wanted me to run to where there was a little more sunlight so we could just finish that whole fight nice. imagine three hours as compared to three and a half weeks that i took with summer hong so it'll give you an idea yeah. why the fights in hong kong look so amazing comparative to a lot of the american movies yeah. so anyway yeah. on from that yeah but that's 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 how I had a relationship with Fred and uh, Bob Klaus, you know, and doing the China O'Brien movies with Cynthia, et cetera, et cetera. It, it was a good long run. Fred was always very, very good to me. See, I just want to kill you like dogs. Okay, so on Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're probably sworn to secrecy here. There's probably yes, those, those things you can't say about it. But obviously, you worked on the David Eyre suicide squad as well from a few years ago and then obviously working on this new james gunn version i guess without breaking too many ndas can you say you know what's the sort of big uh differences that you've noticed between the the two films is that an easy question for you to to answer yeah because you're right i I mean i've totally got a confidentiality we're not allowed to breathe anything could have cameras anything on set all that so it's normally and for the reasons i said that there's so many websites that wanting to guess Who's playing what character and what the storyline is? So I can't even talk about that. But yeah. the only the, one of the things I would say about this is I it, like the original Suicide. I don't believe that the Suicide Squad movie, the last one that David Ayer directed, was in any way representative of the movie that David wrote and directed. I believe, sure. from what I hear, there was a lot of studio involvement, studio execs, their input, and basically doing their own edit of the movie, which mm-hmm. is not 
in any way what David intended because David, you know, is an amazingly talented director and writer. Absolutely. And films like Fury and goodness me. Yeah. So that was one thing. I think a relationship back then with Harley Quinn and the Joker that we, I know the scenes they shot for that original that were just cut out of the actual movie that ended up on screen, which was disappointing to me because there was an incredible mm. relationship, which to me changed the whole slant of the movie. But that being what it is, what the thing I'm impressed most with this one is just, you know, as I said, James is known for his his humour. You know, he wrote yeah. the original Scooby Doo, for instance, and sure. he's been around forever. And Guardians of the Galaxy with its humour and everything, but the mix of humour and drama, and this is what's I think is going to make this an amazing film. <clears throat> because there's obviously comedic elements, but when you see performances from Idris Elba. John Cena, you know, Margo, this, the performances will bring tears to your eyes, as mm. you know, which is in contrast to some of the action and, again, some of the kind of goofy comedic stuff. That's what I, I'm most impressed with, and it's absolutely James's movie. Every every frame is dictated by him. He's the one, he's the one no, just the camera, no, change the lens size, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't leave that to anybody. It's, it's absolutely his take on this story that he has written, which yeah. I think is quite different from the original one, as much as I would say. And I know the whole cast are so excited by the script, by the story, and by their experience of, of making this film, I think it's it's going to be a phenomenal movie. You trained, obviously, Margot Robbie for Suicide Squad, and then a few years later now to be working with her again. She's done the Birds of Prey movie, and she's really owns that Harley Quinn character now. So that must have been great to, you know, be working with Margot, doing this character again. That must have been quite, quite exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ben, I'm, I, I can't tell you how much I, of a fan I am of Margot. First of all, she, you will never get a more down-to-earth little Aussie yeah. chick, you know? Sure. She's yeah. so unassuming and down-to-earth, and she's just delightful. And the other, the biggest thing about someone like Margot, which I say to people, there's a reason Margot is so damn good, and that's her commitment. She is mm-hmm. so committed to excellence. And I say that by, if you know, for this one, you know, I, I said to Margot, look, you know, by the way, what a bloody work slate she had. She was prom- finishing and promoting Birds of Prey bombshell that was out on netflix and everything yeah. else and something and she's every almost second day she's off having to do that as well as come back and shoot suicide squad but i just said to margot once said look even if you can just give me 20 minutes you know on rap and this is after 14 hour days by the way sometimes wow. just give me 40 minutes half an hour 20 minutes it'll all add up and she would do that she would come in exhausted and still just give me that little bit of time for a move that was going to be involved in one of the fights and it all added up and that's you'll be amazed at how she looks in this film and again because some actors you'll get and you know they're training with you because they've been told they have to and they're kind yeah. of thinking well the stunt double will do most of this anyway yeah. margot is she is so committed to being the best she can be and 
95% of the stuff you will see in this one, as per the original, this is aside from ridiculous wire work and everything, but fight stuff is her. She's mm. doing it. It's old mm. school. It's the actual act they're in there doing it, and she's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, there's a back kick she throws in this thing, you know, without going into it. There was one to the chest, and I said, Marga, you could, you could absolutely shoot that straight up to the face, and if we can have camera see you look over the shoulder and shoot that kick out, and we see it's you, how good is that? <coughs> and on the day, she threw this kick, and I, I, I literally went, I said, for fuck's sake, where did that come from? I said, even in my best day, I couldn't have thrown that as fast or as accurate. Yeah. She just blows me away, you know, but wow. she's, she's, I don't think there's a fight scene that I couldn't teach her, you know, she's yeah. that good. She's great on wires, her balance. She used to do dance, you know, when she was young and sure. whether or not that helps, but it's just her ability to take in detail. Um, she mm. just, she just, and the drama, you know, my big thing with fights, which I think I can bring that maybe some others don't bring. And this is as a result of all the movies that I did, albeit whether they're low budget, who cares? I yeah. still have to sort of study drama to a degree. I like to bring the drama beats into a fight. In other mm. words, I tell them it's, it's, not, it's what you're not doing that's as important as what you're doing. What's in between that? What's the look? What's the emotion between that kick and that punch or you firing that gun? And some people like Margo really relate to that, you know, that yeah. attitude, that intent that we get in that makes a fight believable. And mm. she's a joy with that. And by the way, John Cena, you know, getting yeah. off Margo. I mean, I mean I, it's a big lesson in, in when we look at people and we form a judgment, you know. And mm -hmm. you look at John yeah. and he's a WWE wrestler and he's huge. Oh, my God. I mean, the guy's ridiculously intelligent and yeah. educated he he did a movie by the way with jackie chan a year ago or he did yeah as Still a result to he, see it. <laughs> he decided he wanted to learn mandarin so he's taught himself fluid mandarin no. which to anyone knows is ridiculously difficult yeah. when he's not on set he's got a piano in his trailer because he's taught himself piano he's also got a platinum rap album out and you go <laughs> What the fuck? Really? He's just crazy in wow. his ability to take in detail, and he's got amazing comedic sensibilities. So what a what a eye opener that was, and it's just such yeah. a lovely guy. You've trained with actors like Will Smith, Nicholas Holt, Tom Hardy, Charlie Theron, really big A list names. But what do you expect from them? Well, expect or, or what do I want is a good word is commitment. I yeah. just want them to commit. The commitment involves, yes, you need to commit as much as you do to the drama and learning your lines. You know, you have to commit to this because that is part of your character. If you're Will Smith and you're amazing with firearms and everything else and special forces kind of close quarters combat, you have to be excellent at it. Otherwise, you're going to lose your audience. So yeah. the commitment and I gotta say, you, you, the names you just mentioned are all amazing names, and why are they amazing names? Because I believe they commit. I believe they're professional, and they know the sort of effort and commitment it takes to be 
that kind of super actor, as it were, mm. you know. Mm. Uh, yeah. Because again, I I have had some that just don't want to do it, and I yeah, you I must have people of, who would just want to spend time in their Winnebago. <laughs> you know, call me call me when I'm needed for the close up or whatever. Yeah, and the problem with that is you're left then to the stunt double doing it. See, we want the stunt double to be there to figure the moves out, the fight to get the kinks out, to really dial it in whether it's the wire work or the fight moves, and then to help teach the actor. And then when the camera's up, we basically want the actor to do 100% of it if possible because then yeah. there's no compromise for the camera or the director. They can stay on that actor's face. And I would say to a Scarlett Johansson or Margot, said, you're the, the award-winning actors. You're the one that bring the drama to the fight. It can't be just physical moves. It's got to be a story within the fight. So to have them do it all means you're not compromised by shooting over a stunt double shoulder or whatever mm. or using face replacement. And that's what we do. So to get an actor that doesn't come in, I kind of – no, I don't I, – it's probably not fair to say I give up on them, but I, I don't have the same enthusiasm – as getting someone like a Marga who I know is just as on board as I am to bring the best bit of action possible. Yeah. And the big thing for us, our stunt team and myself, is my first job is to, once they know and have the confidence that the only reason we're doing this and I'm there is to make them look the best possible on screen, which is them. I say, I can't do your fight. You have to do it. And if we can work together and basically, and once they understand that's my through line, that I'm on set, every take I'll go over and try and get some input, a little tip, put mm. your chin down, do this, and they understand that it's all about just making them look great, then then we're in for a good ride. Hmm. All right. I'll now add in a few of my own styles, especially for you. Do you have any future sort of dream projects that are still on the cards or any you know ambitions things that you still want to achieve it's really i'm pretty much in the moment but the next yeah the next dream one is of course another mad max movie and yeah. why just because it's since a kid i mean how iconic as an aussie franchise action franchise is mad max and i yeah. love george miller he's the loveliest gentleman you could ever meet so the chance to be involved in whatever way in that is the next thing that i'm looking forward to yeah. The the only other thing is that even Rage that I did with uh, John Ballett's friend of mine that I work with, I helped him with a couple of short movies in minor way, hence me getting cast as one of the leads in Rage. Well, he's got another script. I'm incredibly excited, even though we'll probably have two and six months to spend on it. I just don't care. Yeah. Just to get yeah. on and, and play a role as an actor and work with people that are fun to work with and have the same passion, That's yeah. that's also in the very near future for me. Um, as far as whatever else, people always say, oh, what are you doing next? I said, if only I knew. The phone <laughs> could ring tomorrow and suddenly off we go. Well, not off we go anymore because you can't even get out of Australia. No, but I know. There you know. go. But you know what I'm saying. Whatever yeah, whatever absolutely. comes up, you go, great. And I'm also just as happy to have a bit of downtime, my friend. I, yeah. I've long learned that. You know, I, I used – the downtime and spending time at home and being with Judy and just doing my martial arts, That that's living for me. Mm. So when I'm not on the set 14 hours a day, to be at home and just choosing to watch a bit of CNN and do whatever, that's, that's gold for me at this stage of my life. 
because I, yes. Judy gets a little, you say, no, no, stop telling people your age. But I'll, I will sometimes say, you know what, at 70 years of age, even if I have perfect health and, and I live to be 100 years old, that is still less than a third of the two thirds I've already lived that I have left. Right. That's a finite amount that you become very aware of after 60. Sure. So I thought one would hope that one was very careful about what they chose to do with that finite amount of time left. Mm. So that's mm. also the way I look at it. I'm not going to just go off and do jobs that are going to stress the crap out of me, you know, just for a payday. I would rather do something I love and I'm passionate about. And if that's not the case, then I'm happy just to sit at home and sort of dwindle on in my martial arts world. So yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Richard, thank you so much for talking to me and spending the time. This has been this has been really good fun. Thank you, Ben. And the last thing, I, I want to leave a little message for your viewers, which yeah, yeah, I yeah, always do. I, I, I say to these, you know, when I started martial arts, we did martial arts because we wanted to be great martial artists. Nowadays, yeah. so many of the kids do it because they want to be actors. They want to be the ex, yeah, yeah. next action star. It's and a I stepping would, stone. Yeah. I'd say to them, it's so incredibly hard, this industry to get into, whether it's in the stunt industry or in the acting industry. So, so hard. But I say, look, somebody has to do those jobs. Why not you? It just gets mm. bad down to how badly do you want it? How much work are you willing to do to lead to that, that goal of being the next amazing stunt double actor or whatever it is? And I'd say if a skinny little asthmatic kid from Croydon can end up working with Jackie Chan and Sam and Chuck Norris and people like that, then basically anybody can. And I mean yeah. that. <laughs> it's just a matter. You've got to create your own luck, believe in yourself, and just, just go for it. And at least if you get to be my age and you haven't done it, it shouldn't be because you didn't give it your best shot. You know, yeah. that's that's yeah. what I would say. That's awesome. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Richard Norton there. What a wonderful chat. It was really good fun to talk to Richard. We do wish him all the very best, particularly now as we're seeing signs of lockdowns being lifted. Maybe not so much here in the UK, but certainly over in Australia. We do hope that some of those projects that Richard is looking forward to that were on hold do start to be lifted and hopefully we will go back to some sign of normality soon enough fingers crossed anyway if you do want to hear all the latest richard norton news then he is on instagram his name on instagram is at rj norton 64 that's the digits 64 and he is also on twitter his twitter handle is at rj bromley norton that's all one word that's just about it for today thank you so much for listening to the show remember we do have a whole host of other conversations that are recorded in the kfmg pod archive so if you have missed an episode you can always catch up over at spotify or apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher acast wherever it is that you go to to get your podcasts remember the best way to make sure that you never miss a new episode is to subscribe to the show new episodes of the kung fu movie guide podcast are being released every two weeks on a monday so don't miss out on your fortnightly fix of foo thank you very much you can subscribe now via your podcast provider and if you do that already 
thank you so very much the last thing for me to say for today is to say a big thank you to Richard Norton for taking the time to speak to me and a huge thank you to you the loyal Foo follower who has listened to this episode all the way to the very end I will be back in two weeks time with another new episode of the show until then please do take care be well stay safe and be good to each other i will see you next time on the kung fu movie guide podcast bye for now planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.